It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tyrus. I'm Liz Clayman. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm Eben Brown. Russia's fury continues to rain down on Ukraine, which, with help from the West and by its own resolve, continues fighting back. But it has now been a hundred days, and Russia is growing more violent. They are up against many modern weapons, weapons that are illegal under international law, weapons that can melt skin, can burn their way through bunkers and reinforced areas. And so it makes this fight a very challenging fight. This is the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. The Ukrainians are sorrowfully marking a full 100 days of defensive warfare aimed at preventing a Russian takeover of their country. Not everything about the war is the same as when it started. That goes for the fighting as well as the reasons why Russia is doing this in the first place. But the Ukrainians are not under any presumption it's ending. So when this war started at the end of February, the fighting was very different for the Ukrainians. And they were very much prepared for this type of battle. It quickly turned into street-to-street fighting, an effort to stop Russian attacks on the capital city of Kyiv and other major population centers. Fox's Trey Yinkst is reporting again from Kyiv, where a strengthened air defense made it possible for officials to give fallen soldiers a proper funeral. But the war grows worse. It grows more deadly. And yet no one is talking about surrendering. It has now shifted to a more rural battle, a battle of artillery and heavy weapons. And while we still do see some street-to-street fighting, many of the weapons that the Ukrainians were very successful with early on, things like javelin anti-tank missiles and small arms, aren't being used as much. It's not to say they're not being used, but the battle in the eastern part of Ukraine, in the Donbass region, does look different in many ways. So... That's something that has shifted slightly since the war began. Something that hasn't changed is the determination of the Ukrainian people and pledges from leadership here in Kyiv to remain in the fight. We heard even today Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky doubling down on a commitment to retake any territory that has been claimed or occupied by the Russians so far in this war and to continue efforts to push back this invasion. Now, the reality on the ground is not so optimistic. In the eastern part of the country, in the Donbass region, the Ukrainians are losing slowly but surely significant and strategic territory that will be extremely hard to take back, even if they do launch a larger counteroffensive. Let's talk more about that. The resolve of the uh, Ukrainians is certainly there and I think ever present and the Ukrainian leadership has done a, a, a Really a fantastic job, I think, in communicating that to the rest of the world. Uh, they have certainly um, uh, mastered the the art of, of the wartime PR, I think. 
but as you mentioned that the 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 that resolve is also being tested and and there are big losses on the ukrainian side i believe president zelensky recently said uh that ukraine is losing between 60 and 100 soldiers a day and there are many more than that who are wounded um that has to take a toll on on the effort and certainly on the average ukrainian person who's still stuck there and but but isn't fighting but you know as a civilian uh, th- this has to this has to be realized by them at some point that this is a uh, perhaps for them a noble fight, but ultimately they could be bested here. Yeah, it's a very bloody battle, and those numbers are staggering: sixty to one hundred soldiers a day, with an estimated five hundred wounded in action. Just yesterday, we were at a military funeral for a soldier that was killed a week ago outside Ukraine's second largest city of Kharkiv. And I spoke with some soldiers there who just returned from the front lines, and they were tired. You could see it in their faces. You could hear it in their voices in exhaustion. While they are putting up a fierce fight against the Russians, and you do hear this optimistic language from officials in the capital city, it is an extremely, extremely difficult fight. They are up against many modern weapons, weapons that are illegal under international law. Weapons that can melt skin, can burn their way through bunkers and reinforced areas. And so it makes this fight a very challenging fight. And so there are these heavier weapons coming into Ukraine. We saw the report this week. The Biden administration is going to send multiple multi-rocket launching systems into the country. This will give the Ukrainians the ability to fight a little bit further back from the front and target some key Russian positions in eastern Ukraine. We know there is more support coming into the country when it comes to anti-tank missiles and ammunition and those key artillery units that have already made their way in some cases to the battlefield in eastern Ukraine. But as we talked about, it's a bloody war and the morale varies from location to location based on our reporting. And even side to side, there are some Russian-backed separatists who were in this fight. There are some Russian soldiers who have reportedly abandoned their positions. This is taking a toll on those who are fighting the war. It is extremely difficult and, and even difficult even in our reporting to describe how horrific war is. A war, the second... It started was the largest ground operation in Europe since World War II, and it is now dragging on 100 days in with no sign of stopping. And so it just is incredibly uh, hard for these soldiers on the front lines, these Ukrainian troops who are trying to defend their country, to continue the fight. But every indication that we have so far on the ground is that they will keep doing so. You mentioned these weapons that Russia has been deploying. Uh, they melt skin. These are obviously not conventional weapons. These are uh, weapons. We've heard the word thermobaric. We, we've heard those types of words, you know, weapons of mass destruction. Um, there seems to be a general condemnation of Russia's actions. But is there anything that can be done on the international stage to pressure them to not do this? We've we've been seeing sanctions. We've been seeing other types of uh, uh, condemnations, but they don't seem to be working. And of course, Russia still has an incredible amount of power uh, at the United Nations, both at the Security Council and whatnot. 
uh, how do how does the rest of the world stop a superpower from using these horrific weapons? Uh, weapons that melt skin are aren't meant to destroy buildings; they're meant to destroy uh, people, populations, if if you will. It's a challenge for the international community because many of the pieces of leverage that would normally be pushed against a country like Russia to stop this type of behavior have already been enacted. Sanctions at the near highest level around Vladimir Putin's inner circle, targeting his friends and family members, sanctions that are crippling the Russian economy in many ways. And it's not to say that Russia has nothing left to lose, because they do. There are other things that can be done on the international stage to further damage the Russian economy, to sanction other individuals. Already today, we've seen Russian banks and military officers now added to the list of European sanctions. And so sanctions will continue. They will expand. But getting Russia to change their behavior is, again, a challenge that will require creativity. And it will also require a constant push to pressure those officials in Moscow who are supporting Vladimir Putin's actions. And so the simple and short answer is there isn't an easy way to stop this type of behavior. And there are these elephants in the room, to describe it in a way I think that will resonate, of red lines that certainly exist in the world. They, they certainly exist in the West in terms of the weaponry that's being used. But no one knows exactly what they are or how countries like the United States would respond. So if Vladimir Putin decides to use a tactical nuclear weapon, for example, what would be the next action by the United States? We can't confirm, but in many cases would assume that there are plans in place for if Vladimir Putin, for example, decides to use a nuclear weapon. But we don't know what they are, and, and that is for a strategic reason. But to say Russia has nothing left to lose wouldn't be accurate. They have many things left to lose. But the question is, what will they lose as they continue to increase the types of weapons they're using, not only on the Ukrainian military, but also in civilian areas? You've been hearing Fox News correspondent Trey Yinks, who once again joins us from the Ukrainian capital of Kiev. On the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. We'll have more with Trey straight ahead. I, I want to go back to this military funeral that you attended. Um, one has to think that under the, uh, uh, under the threat of, of, of impending attacks at any time, really, uh, that uh, the, the uh, ability to have the proper pomp and circumstance and uh, for a... Uh, for such a thing where honors are bestowed at a at such a military funeral that that, that might not have been able to happen um talk about that for a bit what what happened at that funeral uh was it full of ceremony was it abbreviated um and uh, i suspect we'll probably have to uh be witness to more of them yeah that funeral took place in the capital of kiev so it did follow a quite traditional event it had a section where there was a religious aspect and then also a military aspect. And there were quite a few soldiers there. This is something you would not have seen two months ago because the war was so close to the capital of Kiev and the city was being targeted a lot more 
frequently. Right now, Ukraine has pretty heavy air defense systems set up around their major population centers, specifically around Kyiv, that it makes the city itself actually relatively safe because when missiles are fired at the capital, they're often intercepted. And so the air raid sirens still go off occasionally, but it doesn't put groups of people at the same risk that they faced two months ago now. Uh, with that said, you really can get an understanding of how others have had to wait to continue to do something like a burial. While that soldier was killed a week ago, we were also at a civilian funeral yesterday, and there was much less pomp and circumstance, but I think that it painted a very grim but real picture of the situation on the ground. We were at a cemetery in the suburb of Irpin that was at one point partially controlled by Russian forces. And while we were there, there was a funeral that got underway, and there were two people in attendance, the daughter and the granddaughter of a woman who died in a Russian-occupied area. And the circumstances around her death weren't clear even to her family, but they had to wait weeks to bury her because when she died, the Russians controlled her town. And so she ultimately was buried in what we understand to be a temporary grave, and there was a funeral, and then she was reburied in her final resting place. But it really just gave us a sense of how difficult it's been for families. Even when a loved one dies, there's no guarantee in Ukraine that they can be immediately buried, because depending on where they die, the security situation could be different. And for this family, they weren't able to even get to their relative, to their mother or grandmother, to properly bury them because the Russians controlled the town and weren't even letting the bodies of Ukrainians leave. Trey Yingst, Fox News correspondent in Kiev. Thank you once again for being with us here on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.